Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 360 on Tuesday, the 20th of October, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we say congratulations to those we know who now have new cars, we'll be asking if we're seeing safety washing in a new proposal, learning what are the issues with FEVs, and we'll be adding the word Mercedes to the Alan drinking game trademark. But first, we go straight into the news again. This, I think this is unheard of, that we've gone two weeks without any follow-up. I'm sorry I haven't forgiven you for the, um, for the menu items yet, so just, <laughs> just get on with it. And this is the news. We're going to start off with what seemed to get smashed around last week, and people seem to not read things like the word consultation by going, drivers will be banned from picking up their mobile phones, blah, which is not exactly what's... Uh, there's a consultation about this. The proposal is to just basically close the loophole that we discussed. Ooh, when was this? It was some time ago. Now, yeah, that people were allowed. To, you are technically allowed to interact with your phone as long as it's not for a communication thing. So you can do it to prod a, a menu message, sort of you know, on like a sat nav or something like that. Mm-hmm but you were not able to take the phone out of the cradle to pay with Apple CarPay. With the Apple Pay, sorry, not CarPay. That's the, <laughs> you can have that, Apple. Yeah, you, need, you need more ideas. Just pick up the entire dashboard and take it to the... To the goes, yes. <laughs> um, so there was all that. but So this is basically to close that out. And um, it, it's all part of the stop drivers from distracting themselves. So it's not not being able to stream video or have video calls, which it's not until recently I, well, I mean, of course, I sort of knew it happened, but I didn't appreciate to what extent idiots yes. did that. <laughs> it's <just> nuts. <laughs> but then when this is discussed, they're not they're still saying that you can use your phone on hands-free function. And what's his name? Uh, Mr. Loophole. Nick Freeman. Nick Freeman. Yeah, he's uh, he was on the radio, which will I'll have a YouTube link in the show notes, where he discusses why... Um, this is stuff we've said many times over mm. pretty much since we started, about the scientific studies into how distracting it is to make a call at all, hands-free or not. The comparison is to certain levels of being over the drink drive limit to show how impaired you become mentally whilst mm. you're having these conversations. The the point he puts forward on that is if you're not doing that, it's it's a bit like safety washing really, you know, it's you're not you're not really addressing one of the fundamental problems of people being distracted. You're just it's almost like you are looking as though you are doing something about it and you but you're not really. Yeah. And that's yeah. disappointing, hopefully, because there, there is going to be, again, in the show notes, there's a link to the government consultation page. But if enough people put it forward and go, well, you need to ban hands-free as well, <laughs> that they might take that into account. But I can see them not doing it because mm-hmm. it would, because the way when I put it into Twitter and saw the reaction from people when they came back to me, then you can imagine the country not actually pausing for a moment to think about the issue yeah and everybody thinks they're brilliant behind the wheel all the time anyway i'm a driving god etc yep anyway from there potholes Mm. next big issue with our roads as well as people not paying attention potholes uh so what the government's doing is it is teaming up with the likes of deliveroo and uber and tesco and ocado 
and they're going to work with local highway authorities i can see there's a whole chain of horror here but never mind <laughs> um to identify pothole hot spots the idea being that they can then build a map of the country and hot spot the potholes yes you could hot spot the pot even yes transport secretary grant shapps says i want our roads to be as safe as possible so during lockdown we've resurfaced hundreds of miles of road but now i want to go further by identifying critical potholes and ensuring these are fixed as quickly as possible we're teaming up with delivery companies who know the roads well in order to map out where remaining potholes exist and then relentlessly target them with our record 2.5 billion pound pothole repair fund better road services benefit motorists and cyclists alike ensuring the back to school and work environment is safer for everyone so moving over the fact that going back to school and going back to work is 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 safe for everyone right at the moment <laughs> um, those are brave words so if, if you find that your pothole hotspots are not being pot filled quickly enough then i recommend uh, getting in touch with grand chaps who will probably ignore you and go fairy company <laughs> yeah i mean but uh, this is dealing with a symptom though rather than the cause of the yeah. problem what, what's causing the potholes i've got that around here if I, if I ruled the world around here i would change the entry into the industrial estate behind me to stop trucks having to come as far down the road as they do because near empty trucks bouncing on the roads around here mean that rocky and road corby is just a mess it is just it is one side of it is all is all bouncing if you've got a little car you can avoid much of it if you've got a larger car, you can't avoid as much of it, and it gets a little bit tricky and uncomfortable. But, you know, teaming up with Deliveroo, Uber, Tesco, and Ocado, I'm interested to know what data and how they will populate the data. Hmm. I guess that they are, for the most part, Deliveroo are actually the ones that puzzle me in there because Uber, Tesco, and Ocado, I would imagine they have GPS and impact sensors, you know, like the black boxes that new drivers have right? Okay, in the vans with accelerometers in so if the vans always go a bit and it's always the same jiggling at each spot then you could sort of do pattern analysis on that and go well actually look this always happens here there must be a this is somewhere we should look at mm. and they're probably back i would imagine if, if they're sensible they would back that up with a manual way in which drivers can report yeah well you'd need that for delivery because then you judge judge the two between if you're doing that that thing you can go oh yeah that this waveform does signify pothole. <laughs> yeah, or you can even just go out and look. Mm. Uh, but Deliveroo, for example, if you're on a bike, then you'd need to manually mark it, I'm sure. I don't know that the accelerometer would work in the same way there. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have black boxes on the bikes. So, so yeah, I mean, it's... it's a, I, I can see why it's a decent idea, despite my, my, my urine extraction. Yeah, they, they are trying to do something... We would prefer if they were addressing the core problem, but at least they're trying to do something. Yes. Yeah, just making sure that trucks are in the right places and on the right types of road. And, and, and the, the roads the, themselves the, are properly constructed. And the potholes are properly filled, because yeah. that's a classic round here. Is It's just, oh, look, there's, there's, there's a little spare mound of mound of tar here, and then you'll never guess what, six months later, it's just as bad, if not worse, than it already was. That's my worry with the fund, is quick, just slap up the hole. Look, we can see how well we've done because we filled all these potholes is as that's the that's the key but factor that's being judged it's the usual thing they can only do it it's only as good as the person on the ground filling the pothole and how much they care about the quality of their work yep it's like delivery drivers yep yeah 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 a good delivery driver makes the difference because mm -hmm. I, yep. I see certain companies 
that are called Fit to Burst on Twitter. And up to now... My local one's really good. Yeah, up to now. They've been absolutely brilliant. Right, going to continue with roads, but this time we're going to talk about specific road. And that is that there is an apparent missing link route in Gloucestershire between <laughs> linking the M5 and the M4 motorways. And it's been out for consultation from Highways England. And over 2,000 people uh, interacted with that and they came back with feedback. And Highways England have now adjusted their initial proposals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is again back out for consultation because that is the process. But they are, they've gone to great pains to say, look, we've heard what you've said uh, and we've changed these things. We've reduced the impact on the environment. We've hopefully made it better and easier to to use when it's in and all the rest of these things. So that's, I mean, it, I think it's brilliant that we we've got these systems where people have the opportunity to say something. If you don't take that opportunity, it's, you know, tough luck. But yeah. we have these opportunities to come up with ideas. And and I think genuinely, as long as they are good ideas and sensible suggestions, the Highways England or the contractors will be happy to to look through and take on board. Because yeah, we, they want to, they want to, they want it to be successful. Nobody does any of these yeah. things to go. Oh, good, we want everyone to moan at us. They want it to be successful. So yeah, exactly. And this, by the way, is actually there's a reason for, that this has taken taken so long. So what happens at this particular point is you leave Gloucester by the Barnwood Roundabout. Anyone who is vaguely aware of that area uh, will know what a terrible traffic hotspot that is in itself. Uh, when you leave that then you sort of head towards Cheltenham and it's all and it's this arrow straight dual carriageway and you get to the end of the arrow straight dual carriageway and you're right down to single carriageway with a single lane on either side uh, as you then sort of so for the next few miles and then there's a whole bunch of roundabouts and each one of those at peak times gets really really busy and there's trucks on the road and there's cars on the road and there's commuters on the road and there's lots of people getting quite, you know, and then, of course, accidents happen because people get frustrated and they try to overtake and there's no space. So it slows everything right down. And then at the other end, as, as you're going to towards the M4, then, of course, it, it widens out to your carriageway again and it's uh, and it all settles. But there is this bit, which is a bit which is a, a nightmare at the minute. Mm. Um, I've I've had to do this quite a few times over the last few years. And on top of all that, it's in an area of outstanding natural beauty, which is why they're being so careful about it, trying to make sure that they follow the contours and all this kind of stuff. They can't just go, we're going to build a motorway. Let's just cut it. a big hole. <laughs> yeah, so they, they've, they're staying well well back from, from towns and villages. They're, they're proposing repurposing the old road, for example, because it won't be necessary anymore. Mm. Lots of stuff like that. And then diverting this new road not to just be a widening of the existing one but to actually follow the contours uh of the of of that area it is very pretty around there yeah yes it um, is it really is actually it's a very nice part of englandshire well they're talking about the scheme costing between 250 and 500 million mm-hmm. so they've got a fairly broad uh, amount of cash but what happens is the consultation will shut on the 12th of november this year and they'll develop an application for a development consent order, which will be submitted early next year. And if approved, then they will have at it. If you want to know more, if you've got opinions, then as ever, the link to the consultation will be in the show notes. Yep. Cool. Next up is London. And this one's a little bit 
this story is a, is a little bit on the edge of rumour, really, in that it doesn't go into specifics. Well, when, when you explain it, we've covered sort of this before, and I yeah. think we can give a little bit of provisos when when you go through this yes exactly that was that was my that was my intention uh so london congestion congestion charge zone there is talk that it will be increased and it's not just uh it's not just that it'll be increased it'll be increased by quite a long way and it's there are a couple of proposals linked in that. So some of that is mutterings that it will extend to as far as the north and south circular roads. Now, is that the same as the ULES is going to go to? Yes. So I don't know. So one of my challenges with this little story is, is that it is assumed... This story is saying that is inferring that everything is going to be under the same charge. Hmm. Not that it is not under the same charge, but everything is going to have the same boundary. Yeah. So I don't know if it's different from the ULES being extended, but this being kept the same size. Yeah. So I, I do worry a little bit about this one. However, there is talk that the congestion charge could be increased quite far to the north, the south, and the west. And not just that, that uh, some of the discounts that exist would be lost. So if you live within the current congestion charge, you receive a significant discount on the cost of the congestion charge. Yep. Okay, you can pay for a year, you pay something like, 10% is it? Yeah, I think so. I think you get 90% off, yeah. Yeah, 90% off, which when you think of the fact that any time you move your car, you're going to have to pay it, still means you're paying a fair whack per year. Mm. And what they're saying now is they're going to get rid of that so that you're essentially going to be £15 a day, whatever you do. Yeah. And lots of this is to raise funds for TFL because TFL, remember, it is the... It's about the, one of the very few capital cities, certainly in Europe, where the public transport is in no is not government subsidised. Yeah, it's the only city in the UK. Yeah, so TfL is is completely unsubsidised as an organisation, which actually just makes it seem all the better value, really. Yes, but it does require millions of people using it every day. <laughs> yes, and it doesn't necessarily have that right at the minute. No. So this is all part of the negotiations with the government for more bailout or, or help, financial help. Mm -hmm. So these these are – see, this is where we get into the allegedly bits quite heavily because this is apparently yeah. a demand made by the government. When we covered this about the congestion charge going up to 15 quid and being seven days a week and being 24 hours a day mm – -hmm. When that story first came out, it was made out that the government was doing that and the government didn't specifically say that is what had to happen. They said no. you need to find ways in which to raise cash as well. And that's the way in which the Mayor of London chose to do it. Yes. So I don't know whether we are in that situation where the government again is going, right, you've, you're going to have to raise more cash. Mm -hmm. Do you now need to go away and think, cleverly how you're going to manage that yes 
The extension, by the way, uh, is would be expected to hit areas like Brixton, uh, out towards the, the east and the north, Kensington to the west, Woodgreen, Stratford, Poplar and Walworth. It just seems a bit weird to go quite that far out because some of those are places where there are already sort of park and ride setups and that kind of thing. Yeah. Especially that sort of Woodgreen area and things. I know that I parked at the big shopping centre there. Westfield. Okay. Actually, I've done it at both ends and then got the tube. Not at the same time. Um, I've done it <laughs> on separate occasions. I have done it either side as a way of, of not having to drive into central London. Uh, c- connected with this story, though, I saw uh, a Financial Times tweet this evening that m- reported suggestions that the government was considering taking back control of TfL. Right. Okay, I hadn't seen that. But that was just so. a tweet and how truthful that is, whether it was paper talk, who knows? But yeah. one to keep an eye on. Not that we are a Transport for London podcast, but it does impact motorists. It does feel that way a little bit sometimes. But the thing is, where London goes, the rest tend to follow. Yes. One other, th- another thing about TfL, uh, we've sort of tried to bundle them all together. They're they're launching something which I'm surprised they don't already have, which is a data project. I know that's what I was surprised. At. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was like, really. And then I realized that this is actually, it's a data project to help keep track of dockless rental bikes and e-bikes. Mm. So not the Santander bikes, yeah, but actually the ones which, which do end up scattered across the pavement uh, <laughs> around the place. So the idea is to, to try and do that and to, to be able to gather uh, information from all of those suppliers in London so that they have an idea of where, like, where bikes are being used from and to. And, of course, this can help inform uh, other transport decisions. There was a fantastic wording in here. Uh, Potential disbenefits? No, not that one. No, no, no. I've seen disbenefits. Disbenefits I dislike intensely, but I have seen before. Um, So the French app company called Blue Car Sharing SaaS has won the the contract for the initial 18-month pilot. And what I didn't realize is that it's expected to support standards such as the mobility data specification or the, and I love this, the general bike share feed specification. Oh, my word. I love that the idea that there is a bike share feed, which gives you an idea of where all the bikes are or should be mm. every time they're, they're sort of logged out. If you know what I mean, every time someone finishes a journey on it, yeah. it tells you where it is, uh, which is cool because that could mean you end up with an app uh, or some way of showing all the different bikes or all the different scooters and everything which is which are nearby. So you can take your pick based on personal preference and proximity and all these kind of fun things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite cool. The real reason for that, by the way, is not to actually make life easier in that point of view. It's about the nuisance of bikes being abandoned after use. Yeah. So that they know where they're going to and from and that if stuff is in really bad places, then TFL can actually do things about it and find the bike share people. Because as it is, if um dockless bikes are in bad places, if they have to be moved by the highways authority or emergency services, then the bike operator can be charged up to two hundred and thirty five pounds for each bike. This is about all working together on this one, I think. Mm-hmm. One last London story, and then we promise we'll stop. Yes. Uh, and that's about, I hadn't realized this one would be bundled in me too. Uh, this is noise cameras. So if the threat of moving the congestion zone out further out into Kensington uh, wasn't enough, then uh, they have actually 
installed noise cameras in West London to tackle drivers, and here I'm quoting uh, Major Gav's article on motoring research, to tackle drivers using local streets as racetracks, which is actually a bit of a problem out in the posher parts of, of, of central London. Is it? It is, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, it is. The Dayglow Lamborghini crowd. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah outside yeah, yeah. Harrods, yep. um, sort of doing, hey man, how quickly can we get around the block type of thing. Um, right. It is a genuine problem. Um, there'd be more than 130 people caught on that. Fines of between 100 and two and a half thousand pounds are up. Yeah, are likely. Uh, and persistent offenders may have their vehicle seized, much in the same way as persistent offenders leaving their cars in Kensington Night Street may also have their cars seized. Uh, it's a 74 decibel noise threshold, which is quite high. A normal car is unlikely. A normal car dream being driven normally should not trigger that. Yeah, I'd be very worried if one of my cars... I would actually be quite worried if one of my cars triggered it. Yes. The loudest sound measured is 104 decibels, the equivalent of a helicopter flying overhead. <laughs> uh, and the... <laughs> this is up there with the... Uh, and the landmass the size of Wales. <laughs> yes. It's the equivalent to Belgium yes. overhead. It's like, what was the one that was used the other day? It's like driving... It's like going on a direct route between uh, London and Madrid, wasn't it, or something down? No, that's a, that that's a classic. Measurement. <laughs> that's a classic. Yes, I, uh, I can easily imagine how far it is to Madrid. There, uh, there's a, one here saying it's a Range Rover on Sloan Street uh, was triggered one of the cameras at just under 100 decibels. Which is quite light. Which so is quite light. Remember, is, that's not a helicopter, but uh, no, three three decibel increases a doubling of mm. apparent sound. So yes, it was still quite loud. Yep. There we are. Mm-hmm. That's their end of our London section. Thank goodness. Yes, quite right. I'm going to move on to BMW, and they have recalled all their plug-in hybrid models that they have built this year. So that affects. Uh, the petrol electric versions of the 3, the 5, the 7 series, the X1, the X2, the X3, the X5, the 2 series active Tora, the Mini Countryman Fev as well. So that's between, if it was built between the 20th of January and the 18th of September this year. It also affects i8s, but they finished in April. Boo and indeed hiss. It still yes, looks like the future now. Mm. <laughs> uh, what the problem is, is there's the very slightest of risks that some particles may have entered the battery during the production process. I am quoting from Lawrence Allen's Autocar article here. And that uh, when the battery is fully charged, it could lead to a short circuit within the battery cells, which may in turn lead to a fire. There isn't a fix yet. And at the moment, uh, I was reading some, where is it? Yes, it affects actually 2,930 cars that are already delivered to buyers. There's mm-hmm. still a, a total of 26,700 cars affected. So that's a bit of an oops. Yes, it is a bit. Uh, if you've heard something similar elsewhere, then uh, the Ford Cougar Fev is also affected by a similar issue. And I'd heard or seen something that that's delayed them introducing FEVs into the US. It has, which means that they've had to join the 
means they've had to oh i glanced at this i didn't read it properly uh it means they've had to join a sort of cooperative of other manufacturers uh who are all working together because because if they work together then they end up with a lower average so a bit like the people um, who are buying credits from tesla it's that kind of thing yeah yeah because yeah, i had heard that these these couple of issues with with hybrids are obviously affecting their overall co2s so mm. it's a it's it's uh, such a the the fines are so catastrophically huge. Where yeah. anyway, and then you put them on the back of this year, and if you're connected with the UK Brexit, it's just dreadful time. Mm. If you happen to be running spreadsheets and <laughs> have noughts and zeros in, you work for a car manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Just trying to generally plan stuff, uh, especially prices. So, anybody's looking at new car introductions and going, "Oh, the price." then uh, all of this sort of uncertainty does tend to feed into the all the price. Mm. Yep. Possible exception of the Suzuki Across. Have you seen the price of the Suzuki Across? Wow. I know it's I know it's the absolute top of the range. With forty five nine nine nine. I couldn't even spec a spec a Toyota Rav four. No, but it's got it's more powerful than a Rav Rav four. Is it? Three hundred and four horsepower. Oh wow. Okay. Fully leather four-wheel drive blah 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 but still you've got to have to have a lot of love for suzuki over toyota to, to pay like i think it was something like seven grand over the highest spec that i could build on the toyota configurator earlier on yeah. this evening yeah anyway sorry we're going off topic there uh <laughs> last story in this first part is to take us on a, a pleasant trip uh out among the cabbages to norfolk uh and to hethel and talk about Lotus, who have upgraded some of their headquarters. Yay! They're looking to grow the consultancy services that they can deliver and the customer base of, of vehicle manufacturers and developers uh, that they already have. Uh, and so what they've done is they have they've upgraded stuff. Mm -hmm. They have built new electric drive unit cells. They've upgraded the existing uh, ICE test development cells all sorts of stuff like that they've also revamped the hethel test track with new safety and protection equipment <laughs> bigger this bales doesn't, that, yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like lotus um yes i'm joking all, of course they don't use bales absolutely no 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 that piles of turnips yeah. <laughs> leftover broccoli yes they're also going to open a new base, not uh, not at Hethel, but at the University of Warwick campus as part of their advanced technology centre uh, that they're building mm -hmm. uh, in the West Midlands, and that will put them right in the middle of all the car, the the the, the vehicle development that happens in the UK, yeah, um, for all around the world. Hmm. Well, well done, yep. Lotus, and good luck. Yep, it's good stuff, uh, and yeah. That, and that's Lotus Engineering. It is buddies with 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 the car company, but it's not. It comes under the same bracket, but it's two different divisions. Yeah, if you know still owned by Geely. Yes, yes, that's where I was getting to. Right, I think that's the end of the first part. It is. So that means it's guilt minute. That point in the show, where I remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange "Become a Patron" button right there on the front page. If you're already a patron, then hopefully you know that we think you're awesome. Uh, if you didn't already know that, we think you're awesome. 
Yes. Of course, we understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, you really do rock. Uh, so how's about telling someone else that you know, uh, possibly even a friend, uh, that you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? If for some reason you're listening and you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free, uh, making sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on the next awesome show. Yep. Right, we've got a couple of designers' mood board stuff. Well, the first one isn't necessarily designers' mood board. Uh, it's it's uh, it's designers' obituary, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly, Aldo Brovaroni uh, has passed away. He died on the 12th of October, 2020, in Turin, and he was 94. Mm-hmm. You may not know the name, but you will definitely know at least one of the cars uh, that he designed in his time at Pininfarina. Uh, his most famous design of all is the Dino, the 208, and the 248. I think I've got the numbers right. No, pardon me, 206 GT and then 246 GT. My sincere apologies for that. So, so yes, the the archetypal Dino that most of us most of us think of straight away. He also. Um, yeah, just lots of the of Italian Pininfarina cars uh, that you will that, that you will know. Uh, it wasn't just all for the Italian brands though. Uh, he also designed the Peugeot five hundred four, uh, which won the Car of the Year in nineteen sixty nine, as well as quite a few others for Peugeot mm. too, including the six hundred four. Uh, I noticed earlier on. And as head of styling at Pininfarina, he oversaw the fantastic looking Lancia Gamma. Yes. Uh, as well which is so everything from super curvy sexiness and natural shapes right through to futuristic goodness me i've only got my ruler with me uh type <laughs> designs as well uh, and that's just genius even once he'd retired from pininfarina uh he still kept on drawing for the concept designer Stoller uh, as well there's an excellent there's an excellent obituary in classic and sports car uh, which there'll be a link to in the show notes yes there will right definitely designers move board now and that is that uh, Jorge Diaz has gone back to Seat again for the third time. This time he will be the design director. He had been for the last year at uh, Mitsubishi Motor Europe. However, uh, obviously with Mitsubishi making the changes they have announced to the European sector, um, he needs to go somewhere else. So he's coming back to replace um, right now. Bear with me. Oh, I did this before and I felt I got it right. Okay. Eljandro Messina. Oh, <laughs> God, I hate this. Okay. Miss Mezzonero Romanos, I think. Alejandro Mezzonero Romanos. Thank you. He's gone to Renault. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, if I do it first, whatever you sound like, you're going to sound remotely competent. <laughs> it's worth a shot. Yeah, but he's he's gone to Renault, and Diaz is going to come in and be design director, and he's going to report to the executive vice president for research and development, Dr. Werner Tietz. Tietz, even. God, you're just Ooh. making it hard for you. I know. Why did you say that? <laughs> you didn't have to do that to yourself. But there is, to save me 
mashing any more names, there is an excellent article from Form Trends that will be linked in the show notes that explains his back history and some of the cars he did, which I didn't realise he had. But we must, we, I must have known this because we have discussed him before. Yes. But I, it, it slipped my mind, um, such as the second generation TT and the first generation A7. So click the link in the show notes because, uh, as ever, Form Trends do a cracking job when it comes to uh, car design stuff. <laughs> And frankly, reading it is less painful than that. Yeah. Or or if you don't go and click the link, and we'll know because we check this stuff, I will read more names out next week. Please Badly. Spare us all. Don't. <laughs> You've all been naughty, so you're now going to be punished. <laughs> right. Lunchtime read. Oh, lunchtime read. We have such a love-hate relationship with emissions analytics, don't we? No, emissions analytics are all right. Do we? Uh, we do like we, them because oh, it's transport environment. It's transport environment. It? Yeah, yeah. No, the excellent article uh, from Emissions Analytics, and it's titled Schrodinger's Car, <laughs> uh, and it's about resolving the enigma of plug-in hybrid vehicles. I, I know that that does not sound like an awesome way to spend your your lunchtime, but actually, uh, this is worth fifteen minutes of your reading about just how, not just how plug-in hybrids can help be that link that missing link as we've already mentioned in the show, uh, that missing link between fully internal combustion engine uh, vehicles and of course the the zero co2 grid battery electric vehicle that we that that is the the sort of nirvana for our every everyday driving mm. and it's not just about what people need to do but it also then goes in and says well actually how could we make people want to do this yeah and how could we how could we sort of dangle enough of a carrot in front of them that's not going to bankrupt us all to get people to make these changes and to use plug-in hybrids in the in a responsible in a responsible way that may even um that may even sort of urge them towards towards perhaps wanting an electric vehicle afterwards yeah uh, make that that sort of link across to 2035 as painless as possible for people yeah because when when you read through this uh and i'm not i'm not going to go into details because you do need to read it. it it's it's really well written it's easy to understand but it is a very complex issue that has many layers to it which when we discuss the transport for or transport environment report mm. the other week that was part of why they got a kicking from us was they had simplified a very complex problem Yes, right the and way down. Shouted about it, and they weren't right. Where this actually explains that there, as ever, and and one of the one of the words Alan likes to use when it comes to which is better, this or that, is depends. And this this is very much in that in that mold of saying it depends on things, and it and it also helps highlight that the car industry perhaps needs to do better in educating people. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. but I, I would add to that that I think the consumers have a responsibility to try and learn about what is an appropriate vehicle for them to to try and get. Yeah, but people always ah we've discussed it so many times, people always immediately think of the worst case journeys hmm. which they which make up three percent of their driving. Uh, and then but and then plan for that. Yeah. Rather than the other ninety seven percent. Anyway. Yep. Mm. Uh yes. Andrew, list of the week. <laughs> list of the week. Now, this is a slightly new format, 
thanks to Motion Research, there is a a slideshow that plays that you have no way to stop. So you have to or scroll through. So you have to sit and watch it go through. But it is it is the worst car names of all time. There are many. There are many. <laughs> and there there are some there are some absolute humdingers in there. <laughs> Have you, Alan, got a particular... I'm going to choose the one that's on my screen just... Oh, it's just changed. But the one that... Ah, I can't remember the full name of it now, because it was an obscure one. And I don't like the one that's up right now. There was the Geely Beauty Leopard a little while ago. (laughs) Passed across the screen. So that one, one, I I shall choose that one. This is very long. This has been running for a long time. It hasn't doubled up yet. Yes. Uh, I've just come across the Ford Pampa. Oh right, okay. That's a Brazilian market car, isn't it? Uh, South, yeah, South American pickup. <laughs> God, the sad thing is, I knew that. I'm so, <laughs> <sorry. laughs> so uh, <sighs> do sit down with a cup of tea and just enjoy the the ridiculousness that will waft across your screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, this was inspired by the Nicola Badger. Yes. Which is well up there. I I, I would. So I'm looking at what's going past, and I have actually seen some of these ones earlier on. The Volkswagen thing, I think, is actually quite a good name for that. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> that really is what it's like. Anyway, and finally this week. Yep. And finally this week, it's the, I almost called it the Rover Metro. The Austin Mini Metro is 40 this this week, mm. which is it's making me feel quite old. I had one of the launch edition little red Corgi ones. <laughs> medium size there's an online exhibition available and there's an article uh, on the bbc all about it it was quite a car at the, at the time I mean, we had a my mum had a 1.3 hls the fancy one. Ooh, look at you i think it was an hls and yeah it was it had split folding rear seats and all sorts of cool stuff i thought that was really fancy at the time headrests and it really was, it was meant to replace the Mini, and it was meant to be to be British Leyland fighting back. Or Austin, was it Austin Rover by that point? Austin Rover fighting back uh, against some of the other the other small hatchbacks that were, were starting to come from the continent. Yeah, because it was, re- it was replaced the Mini, wasn't it? As the... It was it was intended to replace yeah. the Mini, yes. But it was, do you know what? Uh, the, the, it, the usual problem with British cars is that it was great when it started, but then there just wasn't any development taking place to evolve it and to improve it as the competition improved. Mm. And, and then it went from being this this great new thing right the way through to to being a, a bit of a joke. It took them years and years and years to bring out a five-door, for example. It was only when they finally facelifted it, or gave it quite a hefty facelift, that they introduced the five-door. Strange car. If you want to know more about these kind of things, then you want to follow the Twitter handle of uh, the Car Factoid. Yes, that's it. Andrew is the chap who runs that, um, and it's a it's a thank you to him for hmm. uh, highlighting that it was the fortieth fortieth <laughs> anniversary of the Metro. So, uh, but he he has cracking threads where he goes through a model and a car. No, not just Twitter, but also Instagram. Yes, he's on so Instagram. Instagram. Of course, you get many pictures and videos plus he can write a bit more in it do please follow him on instagrams excellent read excellent follow mm-hmm. the stuff every day and it's just really interesting yes i think we're just we're rover 800 series right at the minute yeah i'm trying to avoid looking at that 
that's where we've brings got flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, bad flashbacks. <laughs> I love the SD1 stuff because I've always enjoyed the SD1. I've, I've always liked. Um, but yes, interesting stuff. Great. Have a look at the, the BBC article. Uh, and I spotted on Twitter tonight someone called the Milk Float Man on Twitter pointing out that he had uh, no advisories, freshly MOT'd city, a Metro City special, which is really, really barren. Uh, it is essentially a biscuit tin with an A-series engine and four wheels but somebody was meant to collect it on Saturday but suddenly discovered they have got no room in their garage Uh. Uh, so that is available so it's at the milk float man on on Twitter Um, it's got many retweets and quite a few likes so there's a chance that it'll it'll be great there's someone pointing out that it comes with no parcel shelf or glove box and a mono radio as original equipment no rear wash wipe either just have to drive really fast and no water gathers it's worse than that i see that it seems it looks like it has the metric tires as well metric wheels and tires so yeah good luck replacing those (laughs) yeah but it's if you like that kind of thing then that's that's what you'll love Mm mm-hmm I think that's about it. It is. Uh, any parish notes, Andrew? Yes, a special edition finally came out of a car review. The What has been described by a fantastic listener as the best Fiat Panda review he'd heard in ages. So, yes, the Alfa Romeo <laughs> Giulia Quadrifoglio review yes. is out now. <laughs> Uh, if you want to know what its link is to the Fiat Panda, then I, I, I'd forgotten that I'd asked you about that quite so early on. Uh, it was meant to be a Fiat Panda. It isn't. <laughs> so, Alan, rumour has it, uh, new car. Can you share more with the class, well, it's please? it's not that new. New um, to you. Don't be pedantic. New, <clears throat> new to me car, yeah. Well, I, I might have bought the Pollitz, um W124 uh, Mercedes 230E. So so yes, I've I've always wanted one. Um and the and I, I offered him many months ago. I said to him, if you're thinking about selling that, then can you give me first dibs, please? Mm-hmm. And then he was thinking about selling it, so he gave me first dibs and I went, All right then. <laughs> so I have more cars than I can really store again. Yeah, but, but one's not with you at the minute, is it? One no, no. It won't be no, long I though. Got, I should have gone to see it today, actually. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I thought I would try out things like ride comfort. <laughs> alien, automatic alien concepts for you. <laughs> yes. Seats without bolsters. <laughs> Sound these kind of things. <laughs> Sound, well yeah, there's not quite as much as there should be. Actually, I was pricing up sound deadening earlier on, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought it as a, as a, a rolling project car. I've done about 300 miles in it so far. And it's quite nice. I like it a lot, actually. Excellent. I love it. Excellent choice. We'll see, we'll see what happens. So what we'll do is we'll give it a little bit, mm-hmm. and then we'll do a special edition on it. Yep. I think that's a good in idea. Ye style of a of a new car. So, um, so yes, I'll, I'll talk about it lots then, and I'll try not to be too boring. It won't be boring. No, but I will be. Until then. <laughs> uh, so so we'll, we'll keep loads of stuff. So don't ask me loads of questions. I'll try and answer as much as I possibly can uh, in a special edition. Excellent. Fab. I think that's us for this week. 
So don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about your mum's metro, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? Uh, you can get in touch with with me uh, via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. Uh, and it's worth mentioning, she much preferred her Mini 30 uh, instead of the metro, which didn't really last very long. We'll be back quite soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.